Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro. Yes, the one, the only Ryan and Brian's Bible we, Bistro. We need a yeah. It's a we, where we talk all about the Bible theology and things related, related. to the Christian faith. faith. Yes, so. that's right. You've, Mostly it, it, we talk about the Bible, though. A little theology. A little theology. We need to do more theology talk. Yeah, we need to do a little bit more life too. So. <laughs> you know, like. Things pertaining to the things life. that are pertaining to the Christian life, or yeah. relating to. Everybody. Yeah, well, we do talk about the Bible, but you know, it ha- you can't live the Christian life without you know that's your true. Bible. Know the foundation, so. and that's what I, that's what I do. It's Love and marriage thing, so. can't have one without the other. <laughs> isn't that a wait? Isn't that a song? Something about carriage. I don't know. Oh, horse and yeah. carriage. Horse and anyway, car- go together like a horse and carriage. There you go. Anyway. Here so we are. we're doing. We're still doing the wonders. The, the Oneaters. Oneaters. The Oneaters. Yeah. We're back. Yes, the Oneaters. We've had some great Oneaters up to this point. We've had oh, a, the banger Obadiah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, then last week Philemon. we had Phil, Philemon or Philemon. Philemon. Yes. And today we're going into the into the the far reaches, the mystical reaches of Jude. Hey Jude. <laughs> Don't feel so bad. No, anyway. If you're hating this right now, please stick with us. It, it, <laughs> it gets better. It has to go up from it here. Has, it can only get better from here. So, so we are we're looking at these one chapter books, and and as I said, kind of from the outset, these really don't have a lot in common with one another, except you know, second, third John will. Um, interestingly enough, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, we have one Old Testament book which we've looked at. We had Philemon, which is Paul's one 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 hit wonder, mm-hmm. uh, his one chapter wonder, and then uh, we have Jude, which is a one off thing. You know, at least Philemon is connected to other books. You have the other Pauline epistles that that kind of give us a little bit about what's going on in the background. Jude's a really interesting book in a couple of different ways, and, th- and this is the, I was thinking about this as, as we were talking about this series and everything, and as I was preparing, it, it's. Um, it's interesting because they have very little in common, but yet all of them open up kind of really interesting perspectives. Like we saw with Philemon last week, you might remember, we saw kind of how it connects with the book of Colossians and other things. Right Now, Jude is a one-off, but there's there's a couple things that really um, are, are some unique features other than, other than the fact it's just one chapter long. Mm-hmm. The first is, and I didn't count, but I think this is our longest Oneater, too, by the way. I, I should do that word count. It looks like it's a page and a half, so. <laughs> in 2nd through John, definitely are not. Yeah. So, so Jude, there's two things that are really interesting about it, I think. The first is that there are parallels between it and 2nd Peter chapter 2. 
And when okay. I say parallels, we're going to look at it a little bit later, and and you hear some verbal parallels to these two books, which bring in the question: if there's some kind of dependence, like in other words, did one of them was it familiar with the other and using the language of the other, or are they? You know, the, the three possibilities are always like Jude used Second Peter, Second Peter used Jude, or it could be that they both are referring to an earlier tradition that the people were just familiar with that we just we just aren't we don't right. have that earlier thing but it's interesting that there are these very similar um there's very similar language between second peter and jude we typically think and most people that i've read on this think that jude is is probably the earliest it's it's one of the earlier uh New Testament books, in fact, uh, there are those who, who think it may be even the earliest that really. Would have been so written. before Philemon, or I mean, yeah. now before mm-hmm. any of that. Okay, yeah. yeah. So some people think it's a very early uh, book, and 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 there's a couple of reasons for that. And I don't know that I necessarily agree. We don't have a good date for it, like we we do at least with Paul's letters. We have something to compare them to in his life. And like I said, there's a couple of different theories on dates there. But the problem with Jude is because it's not related to anything else, and um, it, it seems to be written. We don't exactly even know who it is, although we 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 suspect uh, because he calls himself Jude, the brother of James. And, and I won't mention that now. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But. It and the book of James, which is not the same James he's referring to, but the book of James is uh, those two probably uh, have a lot more of a Jewishness to them mm-hmm. in some ways. They they we're going to see the number of references to the Old Testament and those kind of things, uh, and so some people kind of put that with earlier Christianity in the earlier in the first century. Again, I don't know that that's a really good reason to think that, but it, it is possible. So that's the first, the first thing is just the similarity between Jude and second Peter. We'll look at that a little bit later. The second thing that's really interesting with Jude and, and causes when I'm, when I teach this, I actually would teach this book, believe it or not in college, um, because it goes along with first and second Peter. If you're going to teach the Petrine epistles, typically you bring Jude along because there's so, so many parallels between second Peter chapter two and Jude. And whenever I would teach this in college, one of the things that bothered people the most is Jude uses not one, but two non-canonical books, uh, mm-hmm. makes references to two non-canonical books. Now there are others we've, we've seen in revelation, for example, that there are times where, uh, John in revelation will make references to these, um, intertestamental um, traditions that aren't necessarily Old Testament things, but but came up in these Jewish writings from the intertestamental period. And it's the same with Jude. We have these these two references here. Now, the interesting thing is other authors, 2 Peter references Enoch, the book of what we call usually Mm -hmm. First Enoch or the book of Enoch sometimes it's called. Uh, I prefer First Enoch because there is a second and third Enoch. Um, But uh, First Enoch is quoted by some other authors as well, but we find Jude quoting first Enoch, but then he also quotes this book that I, I, I always call it the assumption of Moses because that's what I learned it as first, but it's also sometimes called the Testament of Moses. And we can talk uh, more about that in a minute, but anyway, he, he quotes these two non canonical. And, and what we mean by that, it's not in our Bible, right? These are, right. these are books from probably the intertestamental period. Well, almost certainly the intertestamental period. So somewhere in the first couple of centuries, BC or the, beginning of the first century AD uh, is where we date these books. And Jude makes reference to both of them. Uh, you want to go ahead and look at that now? or Yeah. yeah let's, I, let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. Go ahead. And, what and these saying? books are 
I mean, we can talk about those books maybe here in a little bit. The Enoch, mm-hmm. like they kind of get a little wild. There's a lot they happening. do. They, yeah. So so both of them have both both the Testament of Moses or the Assumption of Moses and First Enoch are I would put them in the genre of what we call apocalyptic literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'll explain a little bit more about that. We've talked about apocalyptic before. In fact, I think we have a whole. Uh, episode on the introduction to apocalyptic. I'd, I'd point you to if you haven't listened to that. But apocalyptic literature has to do with um, some divine messenger giving you um, information about the the way the spiritual realm really is and looking toward the end of the world. Typically, that's kind of just a, a summary. Apocalyptic literature usually arises in periods of time when there's conflict. Usually, when your um, your group is kind of the out group, you're not you're not in power, and right. so that's that's some of the things we see. So, look at Jude nine. Uh, go ahead and read just Jude nine there for me, if you would. Uh, yeah, let me find it here. But find even it. the archangel Michael, when he was. Uh, disputing with the devil about the body of Moses did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now in context, we'll see a little bit the point he's making with this a little bit later, but he's referring here to a story that we see. The only place that we have it that, that we found is in this intertestinal book called the assumption of Moses. Assumption means where his body was taken. And do you, do you remember that story? I don't uh, about Moses. Okay. Well, if you look at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it's one of those places and, and <laughs> the intertestamental Jewish people loved any, even later Jewish people love these. And well, so do Christian people for that, that matter love these little places in scripture that leave us kind of asking or, you know, scratching our head going, well, what exactly happened there? Uh-huh. So you might remember that, that Moses is taken out up on Mount Nebo. If you look at the very end of the book of, of Deuteronomy, he's allowed to see over into the promised land, but he's not going to go there. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so what happens then he dies there, uh, according to Deuteronomy, is it chapter 31? I don't even remember. Are you looking it up? I, I'm I looking at chapter 34 here. 34, okay. Yeah. And so, so yeah, the death of Moses. And so then it says that, that God buried his body. Yeah. He, he uh, uh, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Okay. And so here's here's the lawgiver, like one of the one of the biggest figures in Jewish history, right? Nobody knows where the body is, right? So so that's one of those things that people are going to always speculate about in this kind of thing. So the assumption of Moses, the assumption has to do with this idea of the taking of his body. Uh, the reason some people call it Testament of Moses, and that may actually be a better name, is is testamentary literature is is like your last will and testament, right? It's it's the it's the last thing you say before you die, and so according to the testament of, of Moses, and I'll tell you, we only have this fragment uh, fragments of it from about the third century in a different language, but but from what we can tell, it seems to be testamentary literature where Moses is given this divine revelation that he shares with Joshua, who's going to be the next leader, mm-hmm. just before his death. And it has to do with these these different kinds of things. But then we have the story of what happens to Moses's body, and that's what that's what Jude is referring to. Uh, the angel, the Mike, uh, archangel Michael, takes his body, and and in, in the book of um, the Testament of Moses, there is this battle between Michael and devil and the devil over the body of Moses. Okay, who's going to get the body of Moses? And, and kind of a weird story, right? But, but it it's does, different. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> it does kind of point to a couple of things in apocalyptic literature. Because Michael, of course, becomes a big character, right? right. We see him in Daniel, but we also then have Michael in in uh, in the book of Revelation where he has kind of um, 
you know, we see more about who he is and this kind of thing in the book of Revelation. Leading the angels, fighting the, the dragon. and So one of the things that I say is that there is a heightened angelology. Easy for me to say, right? In other words, your, your understanding of angels in this intertestamental period becomes very, like like a lot of them are given names, um, and that's we see that in First Enoch. There's all these different names of angels, and you're like, where did that come from, right? Uh, and, and all these traditions about the fallen angels and all this kind of stuff that then later books seem to pick up on. Now, here's the question: When Jude refers to this, and and this is kind of what what makes this a, a difficult question for us to wrestle with is does this mean that Jude thinks that all of the testament of, of Moses then is 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 inspired let's let's use that term mm, right or, or is he re- simply referring to a tradition that people would have been familiar with the same way that you might refer to Seinfeld uh, as though he were a real person. Well, I guess right. he is a real person. That's probably a bad example. Uh, Homer Simpson. George, that, George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, George Costanza, as if he were a real person. Um, yeah, you know, referring to, to maybe Homer Simpson or something, you, you could tell that because people are very familiar with, with that that. ID at least even if you've never watched the Simpsons, you have an idea of who yeah. Homer Simpson is, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so it could be that he's he's making reference. And again, in context, when we look through the book of Jude, we'll see a little bit about what point he's making with this. Uh, he's basically saying, well, I'll tell you later. So so that's the first reference here. Here's a second one. Look down in chapter or verses fourteen and fifteen. Okay. And this is. This is a quotation actually from a couple. I say in our notes that you have there, I said First Enoch chapter 1 verse 9 is the reference here. But then there's actually a later reference too I'll, I'll make a point about. But go ahead and read, read that verses 14 and 15 there. Yeah. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to con- convict all of them of the ungodly acts they have committed and their ungodliness, and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The last part of that is is a direct quotation from Enoch, First Enoch, chapter one, verse nine. If you go and look there, and and what what that is, it's it's actually the end of a kind of a long poem or a prophetic word. I suppose it would it, it takes a Hebrew poetic form. Um, but it's the end of that, and it's kind of a judgment against wrongdoers, as you hear there. And, and right. it says, basically, the Lord is not going to leave this unpunished. The Lord is going to bring thousands and thousands of his holy ones. Uh, and, and and there are people who think that there's a part of the book of Deuteronomy that this is a an expansion of as well. So some people think he's just, again, referring to the same kind of tradition. But it does seem to be a pretty verbatim quotation of Enoch. And now here's the other thing is, did you notice the first part of what he said? This the is what seven, Enoch, who's the eighth seventh, in, seventh in line, right? You're yeah, right. seventh from Adam. From Adam, this is what he said. And that's a reference to the very end of the book of Enoch where it kind of goes through the genealogy and it talks about Enoch. Now, now Enoch becomes, we call it Enochic literature, right? Enoch becomes a big character for kind of the same reason Moses does. Do you remember what Enoch, what we have about Enoch in the Bible? He was taken taken away by God. He That's didn't pretty die much all we know. Yeah, well, he, yeah, whatever happened, whatever he, happened, yeah, he he walked. He was he walked with God, and he was no more. <laughs> what, if I remember, that's the King James there. You know, it, it it's a very abrupt end to this to this character. This this very early pre flood person and we really don't know too much about him right 
And so again, this is one of those places that people came later and filled in, <laughs> filled in information. Enoch, in fact, becomes a really big character in apocalyptic literature because he becomes this guide. Uh, one of the features you have in apocalyptic literature is a, is a supernatural guide coming from heaven to kind of show you here's how things really are. Well, Enoch was taken, right? The yeah. other one, who, who's, a, who's another character you can think like that in the Old Testament who was taken into heaven? Taken into heaven. Oh, uh, Elijah. Elijah. And so he becomes a big figure in this. And even we see, uh, you know, of course, even later prophetic literature, Malachi talks about, you know, Elijah has to come before the coming of the great day of the Lord. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. so we have this, you get what I'm saying? These characters that are kind of leave us scratching our heads and wondering are used to kind of bring in these images. So, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was just thinking about that as we, we talked about recently about Mark, about the Mount of Transfiguration. We have Moses and Elijah too that didn't, you know, with Moses' body kind of having disappeared and Elijah being taken up. Anyway, I was just thinking through that. That's a good, that's a connection of these stories. That's a very interesting thought on that. And, and so, but, but you can see the problem here is that, that Jude seems to quote first Enoch as though it's really coming from Enoch, right? Not, and so let me, I didn't tell you this about these books. Let me tell you this, this book of, uh, of first Enoch, uh, the earliest part of it may be as early as 300 BC. That would be the earliest. Uh, but then it probably is all finished by the first century BC or so. Uh, it, it, it talks about things that kind of, that's kind of where it ends up. And the assumption of Moses actually is probably later than it. It, it comes up because it, it mentions the, the death or seems to be aware of the death of Herod the Great, mm-hmm. uh, which took place in 4 BC. Um, and so, so we think it's probably written somewhere in the early decades of the first century AD is when the Testament of Moses was written. So both of them predate the New Testament. Uh, all the New Testament writings, uh, but Enoch is a little a little bit earlier. But it's certainly not dated. It, it, we certainly can't date it all the way back to the book of you know same same parallel with the book of Genesis. Even the time that Moses wrote, certainly not back to the time of Enoch himself. And and so that's you know that kind of gives us this this issue uh, of is Jude simply referring to something that people would say? So if I said to you again to use an earlier example. Well, as Homer Simpson always says, dope, you know, dope. Yep. It, if I quote that and I say, well, Homer Simpson says that, do you suddenly go, oh, well, he believes Homer Simpson's a real person. You know, what an idiot. Um, maybe you do. But uh, but <laughs> I've met some people I thought that might be <laughs> real life embodiment like, of a Homer Simpson. Look, look like Homer. I've never met a Homer Simpson. I have met a couple of family guy guys, whatever that guy is, Peter Griffin, whatever Peter his Griffin. name is. Then anyway... <laughs> Getting back to the first Getting century, back to uh, the book of Jude. Uh, so so that's what I think. I, I, and, but there are people who really want to do a lot with the book of First Enoch. Uh, like I said, it's just, I, I can't, it doesn't fit. Jewish people didn't consider it to be canonical. They didn't include it in their, in their canonical books. Um, you know, so by the time of Jesus, the Jewish people are not reading it as, as scripture. They're aware of it. I think they're aware of these stories. Uh, there are, there's one, you know, a few Christian groups that, that continue to use first Enoch, but again, most Christians, uh, it, it's interesting historically and theologically perhaps, but, but they're not, not useful in terms of scripture in the same way that we believe that they're inspired by the Holy spirit. That's, that's yeah. how I would understand well, it. And, and I think it's interesting, you know, you talked about Homer Simpson. I think that's kind of a good, <laughs> well, no, I think it's good. Yeah. That, that show has been around for like 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, as you think about, 
you know, our culture and the, what we live in, there are things that we just assume. Like we just like, right. if someone makes reference to something, we've talked about this before that, um, the philosopher Charles Taylor calls the social imaginary yeah. things that yeah. we just, if someone had mentioned back then Enoch, well, it didn't mean that you necessarily thought no. it was scripture. You would have been aware of it. You knew what it but was. But it brought up those stories and you yeah. knew, you knew its background. That's exactly yeah. that's, yeah, that's it's, well said. It's Homer Simpson. I don't have to watch this. I haven't watched the Simpsons in years, <laughs> right. but I know, you know, I saw yeah. it a little bit and I, I know, yeah, yeah, I know the the general gist of what's happening yeah. there. So I think that's really interesting. You know, we have to think, I think sometimes we think, well, why would they bring that stuff right. up? But it's kind of going, it's culturally relevant material. Yeah. Like these are real people living in a culture and, that it's relevant to them. They understand and, it. And I'll tell you first, I first Enoch, I've read a couple of times and, and it is fascinating stuff. I've read it, you know, in addition to using it, I've just, you know, first time was back in, I guess, seminary days. I read through it, you know, and, and it's, it's fascinating stuff. It, it, it scratches a certain itch. If, if, if you know how we are when we're going through the Bible, it's that, it's that time. <laughs> and it seems like the same person every time, right? You get to that part in the Bible and they're like, well, what really happened to Enoch? Or, you know, who, who are these people? Who are the Nephilim in Genesis six? The person who asked those kind of questions is going to, is going to eat up first Enoch because it answers all of your questions. Right. <laughs> But kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It gives it gives an answer an to answer it. to it. But there are people every every few years I get someone who who will write me out of the blue. What do you think about First Enoch? You know, I, I is it is it biblical? And the, and they'll refer. Of course, again, it's not only Jude, Second Peter uh, references First Enoch. There's a couple of other places we see Revelation using some of the imagery of First Enoch. Uh, you know, for for intertestamental literature, for non canonical literature, he gets mentioned quite quite frequently yeah. Um, yeah. but i yeah, think it's so. important to remember then as well the jewish people didn't consider it i, I think know, that's that's where it, I it was part of the stories they might have told around fire but exactly. it wasn't like exactly. this isn't the one that we just keep coming and hitting a part of the tradition but not necessarily saying that it's it's a god-given um, you know part right. of a scripture. So that, anyway, that that's a long way to talk about that. But again, Jude brings in these, these other questions for us. So overall, Jude, I'll just tell you, cause it, again, it's a apoc- it's apocalyptic itself. It has a very negative tone and it's primarily speaking against false teachers that have arisen within the church. Um, that's the biggest thing that he's dealing with. Uh, the biggest kind of problem that he's going to address and, and I'll let you kind of come along with me as we think about this, uh, Ryan, but, uh, there's a lot of language here that seems to be referring to sexual sin in particular, or some, mm-hmm. one of the issues that he's, he's, uh, uh, approaching here, but false teachers that have arisen, uh, he's addressing Christians. He, he, he mentions them as followers of Jesus Christ. There are several things that make us believe they're Christians. His use of the old Testament, makes it possible they're Jewish Christians, but there's really no way that we can understand what area they're from or again, what kind of what era he's writing in. So that's kind of just the introduction here. Okay. So cool. let's, let's jump in then. Look at, go ahead and read uh, verses one and two. This is going to sound familiar if you're listening to Philemon last week. This is going to be our introduction section or our greeting salutation section here in uh, verses one and two. Yeah. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, 
Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Okay, so the sender here refers to himself as Jude. He refers to himself in two ways, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, we, we believe almost universally the, the James he's referring to here is James the Just, who is the brother of Jesus. And so it kind of raises the question, why does Jude not refer to himself as the brother of Jesus? He calls himself the brother of James, servant of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I think it, it, you know, half brother, I suppose I should say to Jesus Christ, if we want to get technical about it, but, but, uh, <laughs> but I think that, you know, this, this, he's, he's talking here and it would be a weird thing to be Jesus brother, brother. Right? Yeah. You know, yeah, universal. Imagine that uh, we do know that there are some Christian groups who reject that idea. The, those groups that believe in the perpetual virginity of Jesus, for example, will say, he uh, couldn't have been, yeah, he, what I say of Jesus, Jesus of Mary, yeah. uh, he could not have been a flesh and blood brother of, of Jesus. But, but anyway, I think it, it refers to this, this idea that he, he sees Jesus and all the brothers later become believers. They're not believers. Jesus brothers are not believers. Um, even in the gospels, you see that, uh, very clearly stated, yeah. uh, it's not until after his resurrection that they become believers. In fact, in John, uh, chapter seven, if I'm remembering correctly, um, they kind of make fun of him. Like, Hey, why don't you go up and to Jerusalem Messiah, you know, go show yourself. And classic if, brother talk. Yeah, if you're really the Christ, why don't you just go show everybody hot shot? Yeah. 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 A little, little like Joseph and his brothers, I guess. But, but anyway, um, so we think he is a, a brother, half brother of Jesus and a brother of James the just, but he refers to himself here as, as savior then as well. And, uh, then, um, uh, to those who've been called, so the idea of, uh, you know, who, who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, kept for has to do with that future aspect, I think. Mm -hmm. And then his greeting here is a little bit different than Paul's standard greeting, which is uh, grace and peace. Mercy, peace, and love is uh, is what he says may be yours in abundance. So then we get into the body of the letter here. And let me go ahead and just, I'll just read verses three and four. There's one kind of different thing here about three in Jude than we normally get. So he, he addresses them here as dear friends. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. And, and so it seems like he was intending to write for one reason, and I don't know exactly what it would mean to to, to, talk, to write about the salvation we share, but I think it may be he's talking more about advanced kind of what we were saying earlier, Christian life kind of things, right? Uh -huh. But he says, instead, I, I feel like I have to write and, and tell you to contend for the faith. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't, it's kind of unusual in the New Testament. We use that term, the faith, quite frequently, but the New Testament doesn't. Um, but he, he does here talk about the faith, and he seems to be referring to a body of of uh, beliefs, a body of doctrine, we might we might say, and so he says, I want you to contend for it. So he's he's saying that you need to defend, you need to uh, fight for, essentially, um, the uh, the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people or God's saints is the way that we could we could read this. And here's the reason, verse four: for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So <clears throat> several things, several ways he describes these false teachers. 
they have secretly slipped in from among you. You know, this, so they're mm-hmm. they're coming from from you. They've they've done this secretly. Their condemnation was written about long ago, and I think what he's saying here is just this this ongoing truth that the scriptures speak to us that that those who stand against God's truth don't stand. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know that he's referring to any specific, specific prophecy person. here, right? right. Yeah. Just as much as he is saying that that this is what we always believe. Here's how he describes them, ungodly people, and we'll say more about that a little bit later perhaps, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And this seems to have been a problem in the early church. Paul addresses the same thing, you might remember. So grace is this idea that we have uh, unmerited favor, right, to use the technical term here, that God had, even though we don't deserve it, God has forgiven us for our sins in Jesus Christ. Now, there seem to be some who took that grace then that we are extended in, in Jesus as, he says, a license for immorality. In other words, uh, as permission to do whatever I want without consequence. Okay, just keep going on sitting like I, sinning. I know I've got the get out of jail free card. Which is what? Gray. Which is what Paul says in Romans 6, right? Shall we go on sinning so the grace may increase? By no means, right? Right. So. So it seems to have been a problem in the early church that when when really good teaching about grace, because Paul's teaching in chapter five of the book of Romans on grace is fantastic, but then he has to follow it up with, but that doesn't mean that you can then go out and live in any way that you want. Uh, you know, they're they're arguing against the legalism uh, that had crept into certain aspects of Judaism in the first century, for example, and and this idea that that one needs to deserve God's blessing, the, these kind of things. They're working against that kind of a theology, but it leads them, then if they're not careful, into this idea. Well, then why should I? Why should I? submit to the lordship of christ at all why should i do what god has set out for me to do at all doesn't make any difference and so that seems to be the basically the content of the teaching here uh, at least the basis of it he also goes on he says they deny jesus christ our only sovereign and lord and that's what, what i was referring to both sovereign sovereign would be the idea that you have the ability to to make the rules over a person, right? Mm-hmm. If you're the sovereign ruler and then lordship, when we talk about Jesus lordship, it's that he is the one to, to whom we answer the one we, we need to obey uh, his commands. And so they deny that is what I think is, is going on here. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead a little further before I ask if you have any questions, you okay. go ahead and read verses five through seven. And these are some examples. So there, in this section, Jude is going to give us all kinds of examples from Israel's past, uh, that, that kind of describe these false teachers and, and are give us, give us warning about them. So the first yeah. three here, he mentions in verses five through seven, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he kept in, he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change, chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So there's three different examples that he gives here, and they're kind of all over the place in a yeah. way, right? They're all yeah. Old Testament stories. But the first one, I think, is, is, is pretty easy to understand what he's saying here. So just because God has given you redemption, that's, that's the Exodus story, right? It's always the right. greatest story that we have of redemption, does not mean that then when you 
continue to disobey him, that that will not bring judgment. Yeah. That's it, a, yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, no, I'm just, you know, I think that's, that's a hard thing sometimes. Yeah. Not a hard thing, but it's, we've had conversations about, am I chosen or not? You know what I mean? Sure. Like, or, you know, like that's the, the great story of, um, and I think that's the big problem for Israel is they think I'm always, I'm chosen. So yeah. I can't fall out of this, but we see it here is yeah. you're chosen, but that doesn't mean that you can't, <laughs> you're, right. not, you're not going to be, your disobedience is going to lead to sure. destruction, even though God has said, you are yeah. mine, your disobedience separates you from And that. specifically, he delivered them, right, from Egypt. You know, yeah. And that, that becomes, for Christians, that's our parallel to, to God's deliverance in Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> so many parallels. You know, he was crucified at Passover, which is a commemoration of this, right? The Lord's Supper comes out of the Passover feast. There, there's so many parallels here. We, we even use the same languages of redemption and deliverance, uh, like the same way that they were delivered from captivity uh, uh, to the Egyptians, we are delivered from captivity to sin. We use all the same kind of language. And so he's saying just because they were delivered, though, and then think about all the stories about how, you know, Paul, Paul says it this way. And I think I think if I'm quoting correctly, in Second Corinthians, chapter 10, he says, um, but God was displeased with most of them and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Right. Right. So even though he delivered them when they disobeyed and, and the ultimate one is of course they they failed to trust in god that they could enter the promised land after the, mm-hmm. the spies came back and gave a report that there are huge people living in the land that the whole generation then dies right but even before that we have a couple of stories he's going to refer to another one here in just a minute Korah's rebellion but there there are all these other stories about times when god's people grumbled or when they um they indulged in sexual immorality at other times and and you know even even when moses was on the mountain, for example, you might remember that that whole story. Oh, so, yeah. so that's the first example that he gives. The second one is uh, fallen angels, and again, that's another one of those like Enoch, like Moses. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to understand all about. And so, this is this is probably a reference back to Genesis six or or earlier, uh, where it says the angels did not keep their positions of authority. Um, so this, so here's the idea. Even those divine beings, or I shouldn't say divine, those those uh, supernatural beings who were created in order to serve God in heaven, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. E- even they would not keep their position if they if they essentially rebel, if they abandon what they were created for. Mm-hmm. So. So, you know, we think about the angels, quote unquote, in a sense, greater than humanity, even though scriptures, you know, suggest that's not necessarily the case. But, you know, as a human being, I think about angels in a, in a different realm or a different reality than what I can experience, correct? Right. And, and so even they is the idea, this argument, even they were not guaranteed their positions if they if they failed to to follow God. And then the final one is this, and, and so that they're held for judgment, right? This last one is Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is, this is one of the reasons I think specifically sexual immorality is kind of what he's addressing because that's, that's what he says here. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah surrounding towns gave them up, themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And Sodom and Gomorrah was always used as an example. Uh, Jesus uses an example of punishment that comes uh, upon those who, who failed to keep God's law, you know? So, right. so that's the the third example. Okay. Questions, anything to this point? I don't know if I have questions. I, I'm just, I was looking at those words, like abandoned, gave themselves, you know, just right. the, 
you know, did not believe like there's yeah. the, the, the choosing, choice. the yeah. choice, like yeah. the, the choices, you know, the angels are given a position, you know, th- that they abandon. Sodom uh-huh. and Gomorrah give themselves over to something, yep. you know, the Israelites who are redeemed, you know, taken from delivered and then choose to, to not believe you know, just this right. concept of choice here. So yeah. it's not a question. It's just something as I'm, as yeah, I'm reading this and we're talking, this is yes. like, there's this, this sense of God has done this. God has given you a position yep. and then the, the choosing, choosing to abandon, it, choosing right. to abandon, right. um, and the consequences of, of the, that choice. So here's what he says then, and in, in, I'll let you go ahead and read eight. Well, no, let me read eight. Oh, in the right. very same way, so so here he's saying, here are the examples. Now, in the same way, on the strength of their dreams. Okay, so he's basically saying these are things that they're, they've dreamed up. False prophet, uh, kind of. Yeah, I, I just, <laughs> my wife and I just watched, I don't know if you guys have uh, uh, heard about Waco, the aftermath. Have you have you watched I've that yet? I started it. I watched the first one. Oh my that goodness, led up it's, to that. It's, it's powerful. I would encourage, I would encourage everybody to, to watch it. I mean, with care, because it's, it's definitely got a lot of uh, well, violence and, and themes. Um, and it certainly does have a bias and a viewpoint, but, but, one of the things that constantly, and I've, I have to say, I've watched several things about Waco through the years. They made a movie not too long after it uh, took place, and I watched that. And I've watched several other, both documentaries and and docudramas on on Waco. And one of the things that you're always struck by, not only not only Waco, but also we can think about uh, other figures of. Who, who've brought tragedy in that way. Uh, but just the way that David Koresh was listened to as, you know, as a voice of God. And, uh, you know, that that's one of the things I'll, I'll say, you know, infallible. That That's one of the questions that they kind of wrestled with through this whole docudrama is these people were accepting what he was saying, um, you know, without, without reservation. And, uh, you know, it, it leads to very difficult places, but but this idea of because of their dreams, in other words, the things that they're they're thinking, they pollute their own bodies, and so here this is the idea again. It gives the pollution is is a technical term in the law for uh, you know not having the proper cleanliness when it comes to to sexual relations, and, and so so they pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings, which is kind of a strange, mm-hmm. uh, strange thing to bring in there. But basically they slander, uh, the, the, the angels. And that's then when we get this, this Michael stuff, um, that we've seen before, even the archangel Michael. So again, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser, you know, if yeah. Michael would not even blaspheme the devil, <laughs> this mm-hmm. fallen angel, right? If Michael would not even blaspheme the devil, then then I certainly, as a human being, am not going to blaspheme Salander, a celestial, being. celestial being. So if even I, Michael the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. <laughs> do you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? He's like not going to rebuke yeah, he's God's not going to do it. The Lord rebuke you, uh, yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do not understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. So so basically saying they're treating, here's the way I would summarize this, is they're treating without due reverence and seriousness 
the things of God, mm-hmm. um, uh, the things that have to do with with heavenly beings, celestial beings. They they don't understand them, and so in their in their slander, they're going to bring destruction upon themselves, just like an just like an animal. Uh, is what he's saying. Yeah. Just like an animal in a snare, we might say something like that. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm thinking about what are these people like that have snuck their way into yeah. this this group? Yeah, like what does it look like? Is it just sexual immorality as in itself? Is there some? Are, are they trying to tie it into something that's spiritual about the sexual? That's immorality? my guess. That's my guess. Is it's it's not. It's not, yeah, you know, and again, we're a very highly sexualized culture, right? So we, we tend to think of sex just in those ways, but, but sex in, in, in several of the ancient religions had a, had a religious component to it, or I should say religion had a sexual component to it, would be a better way to put it. And, uh, you know, you think about the Canaanite religion, for example, but then right. in this period of time, uh, you know, you can think about, uh, the Greek, uh, and their, their worship of the male form, right? And, mm-hmm. and, uh. You know that 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 was the highest expression of what divinity looked like was the you know the absolute male form. So, you know the the games, uh, the gymnasiums, and all all this stuff that they used in order to promote that. So so I think you know I think it did well, have a spiritual aspect. Yeah. To it. Well, and then it it's this weird syncretist piece yeah. where they've taken these. Yep cult practices and somehow and and i think this is kind of a lesson for us a little bit today in the church these cult practices and it's like it's this weird melding because uh, obviously they've you talked about the slipping in and it's like they understand the grace of god but it's like how can i distort it just a little bit and it turns into this whole you know as jude is saying here you know irrational animals yeah. <laughs> like it's yep. you know that that's become the the sexual morality or the sure. the the physical thing has become the real thing right not 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 god and his grace right but you know on the other hand you know it's a i would say a strong bifurcation of the physical and the that can lead to licentiousness as well in other words if we say my my body has nothing to do with my spirit, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. can lead to that as well. But yeah, you know, either, either 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 extreme, I think, can lead us toward uh, you know sinning in this way. So he gives three more examples here from the Old Testament. So I'll let you read verses. Well, just think just verse eleven is what I have here now. Okay. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Okay, so it's you know, three in a row here. So Cain is is often used as the example of of the you know kind of the archetypical sinner. Uh, it's the same in Book of First John. Uh, Cain is the only proper name we find in the entire Book of First John, and he kind of becomes the exemplar of sin of a sinner. You know, he mm-hmm. he, he he's the first sinner, right? He killed, uh, even though Adam and Adam and Eve are the first you know rebel re, to rebel to rebel that he killed his brother. You know, this mm-hmm. idea of murder. Um, and so he becomes he becomes kind of an archetype. So they've they've gone in his way. They followed Cain as their father is kind of the idea. Uh, they've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Now, what do you remember about Balaam? <laughs> well, he was kind of a diviner of sorts, okay, a kind good. of a mystic. And yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to. Yeah. He yeah. basically brought sexual immorality. At the end, at the end, into into the Israelites, absolutely. So Balak, Balak was the king who I think of Edom, if I remember correctly. I should look that up. It's either Moab or Edom. I think it's Edom. Israelites are coming through, and uh, 
Balak wants, he's paying Balaam to basically um, curse the Israelites. Right. And every time he tries to curse them, instead he blesses them. Uh, three or, I, can't I hate it when three that times happens. Or, yeah. <laughs> I can't three or four times. I think, it's, I think the fourth time is a very strong Christological statement. In fact, interestingly enough, kind of messianic prophecy. So God basically will not allow him to curse the Israelites. Uh, but instead, he, he ends up blessing them. So at the end, he goes back to Balak and he makes this suggestion and we usually tie this with the next story in the book of Numbers because what happens next is we find some of the women from that nation going and seducing the Israelites, and that sin weakens them. Uh, and that's that's where we have you know the whole idea of um, the Levites come and they they they're striving for holiness here that that their brother Israelites are not practicing. But but anyway, that's that's what we think. But it's interesting here, it says rush for profit. So you talked about why are they doing this? And he su- suggests here, and at least in this case, there's a profit motive in whatever way in in what they're doing. And then mm-hmm. Korah's rebellion is a much less known thing, Book of Numbers as well. But uh, Korah and I can't remember the other guy's name, um, and, and several of their followers began to offer an un- well, and it's not not as priests, but it's Levites begin to offer an unsanctioned incense before the Lord, and he <clears throat> opened Dathan up the earth and and Ab- Abiram, Abiram. Okay, Abiram. Yeah, and and uh, so the earth opened up and swallowed up two hundred fifty of them. You know? Yep. So again, that that uses the example of their their rebellious again. And you, here's the interesting thing here: like we've been talking about his use of intertestamental literature, he just mentions Cain, Balaam. Korah, you know, that's basically, and he expects that people are going to go back and think about those stories and how they pertain to what's going on here. Yeah. So verses 12 and 13, and then what I want you to do, let me read 12 and 13. You go over to second Peter chapter two, and this is a longer section, Okay. but we're going to see some similarities here in, in what we've already seen. And also here's where I think it becomes very clear, the verbal parallels, but verses 12 through 13 says, these people are blemishes at your love feasts. Uh, this idea of love feast points toward the fact that the Lord's supper in, in the early church was probably more like a, a Passover meal. In other words, it was part of a larger meal than what we typically do in right. our worship services. Uh, your love feast, eating with uh, you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. Uh, they are clouds without rain, which is a reference to Proverbs. They're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They're wild waves on the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackness, darkness, the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So go ahead and uh, and read then that longer section in Second Peter and and listen for some of those parallels as you read. Yeah, this is Second Peter two ten through eighteen. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blasphemy in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. 
They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are bolts and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have led, left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mist, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. Okay. So what parallels do you notice there just off the top of your head uh all kinds of things um, <laughs> there there are a lot there really are yeah i mean celestial being the whole yeah. celestial being Slandering thing the angels the angels mm-hmm. yeah they, uh, um they eat with you uh reveling uh in their pleasures while they feast with you mm-hmm. they never stop sinning uh the balaam uh and then the end of it, the whole the blackest darkness. Yeah, this, the the clouds without, without water. Yeah, clouds without rain. All all of that. Basically, you know, a cloud without rain is useless, right? It's a spring spring without water is yeah, it's useless. not a spring. So basically, yeah, it's the same. It's the same image. You know, autumn trees without fruit. It's the same image that Jesus gives us about. Um, you know, any vine that's without fruit will be cut off. You know, your whole purpose in being connected to the vine is to bear fruit. And so these are, you know, they have the appearance, a cloud looks great, no rain. Um, and so all of those, all of those kind of images that we have there, uh, I was going to mention there's a couple of interesting differences too. Do you notice that Peter kind of makes a reference to Michael without mentioning him by name. He, he says, you know, other angels won't even slander. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it seems to be the same story he's referring to, but he doesn't specifically quote, you know, the Testament of Moses like we have, uh, like we talked about with Jude. The other uh, kind of interesting difference is he talks about they they indulge in revelry in the middle of the day while they're eating with you, which could be a reference back to the, the base of Mount Sinai when Moses is up on the mountain receiving the oh, uh, yeah. Ten Commandments okay. and he hears he hears the sound of revelry and it's them basically feasting and indulging in idol worship, which is, you know, again, just one of those amazing stories where they've just they've just seen God's power displayed. They've just been redeemed and and yet they immediately fall back into idolatry and in fact uh, credit the idols that they themselves made with leading them out of Egypt you know which is just an incredible story but but i think all of those kind of point to this you know this type of person um, that he's warning about here, uh, essentially, uh, they're like wild waves on the sea, foaming up their shame. You know, lots of lots of fury, lots of noise, but with very little uh, effect, we might say. Uh, wandering stars, which I guess t- technically is a planet, right? Uh, you know, there, there's the thing about stars. The good thing about stars is they're fixed, <laughs> right? That's, yeah, you can use them to navigate. Uh, more than anything else in, in our natural world, stars are fixed points. And uh, wandering stars are, are not good, <laughs> right? right? It's kind of the opposite of what you want a star to be. Uh, and, and again, blackest darkness, which is a way to, to describe uh, destruction uh, here, is being reserved for them. 
questions on any of that? I know that's that's a whole lot there that we've gone through. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I, I mean, there is a lot happening, and yeah. I, I, I mean, I appreciate. It. I mean, I think I could be friends with Jude. I mean, he's getting to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. it, it I mean, it's uh, there's not a beating around the bush about it. like this. This is a corrupting. Right. influence on you it has to be done away with and it has to be done away that's with. the old testament the you know the old testament uh past i always like to quote on this is that that you know sin has to be taken out of the camp you know if it's allowed to continue within the body of believers if it's allowed to continue within the people of god then it's going to have a corrupting influence as, as you mentioned. well and so. it's and we've talked about this before it's it's when we've talked about we've kind of talked a little bit about like god's love it's loving it's loving you in spite of something but it's loving you Right. to something yes from right. something to something, to something. Yeah. and so yeah. you know jude is making this case like okay just like this god loved you loved the israelites from israel or right. from uh, egypt egypt yeah. but you know he's leading you to 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 something and if you want to veer off that path then right. you know like that you it's destruction the destruction yeah. is off that path that the redemption is there it's right. been granted but you're a participant in the path right we so see anyway this- I'm That's just, fine. I'm just, I'm loving it. I'm loving Good. it, Brian. <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to get through it because we're, okay. we're, I don't get too long in time. Okay. So this is where we get the Enoch stuff. Enoch the seventh and Adam prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands and thousands upon his, or thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. Uh, how do you feel about that, right? So are these ungodly acts? I'm kind of confused. How does he feel about them? <laughs> he just says it three times there, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, they have all committed their ungodliness and of all the defiant words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So basically, you know, God's judgment is going to come is the, is the point. Verse 16 said, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Uh, so that's, you know, again, the words there, uh, both grumbling and fault finding are, are mentioned there. So, Here's where we get finally, and all that's been description of basically these false teachers. And again, that's Jude's primary occupation. But the question might be, if, if you said you love him, Ryan, but if you'd been doing a podcast with Jude in the first century, you would have at some point said, so what? Okay, what's Well, what's yeah, the- <laughs> kind of. And yeah. so here's, here's where he gets to the so what. Um, he, he gets to hear what should we do then as a result of this? What, what's our call? What, what, mm-hmm. what are we supposed to do? Uh, so I'll let you read verses uh, 17 through 19. Yeah. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow m- mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So this is a reference to Second Peter, or I should say, Second Peter chapter three, verse three mirrors this, where he talks about scoffers are coming who will scoff. Interesting here, he talks about the apostles prophesying this ahead of time, basically. And I think what he's saying here is this shouldn't surprise us. This is something that 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 God's that Jesus followers have said from the beginning that that there are going to be those who who depart from them. And even of course one of their number, Judas, is an is an example of that uh, as well. And then uh, twenty through twenty three is where we get the exhortation then of what 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 are they to do then in in light of all of this? 
All right, so 20 through 22. But you, dear 20 friend, through 23, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So I'll kind of summarize this uh, pretty quickly, but, but build yourself up in the, in your most holy faith. In other words, continue the things that you've learned, continue to be built up. Don't, don't be stagnant, uh, in your faith, pray in the Holy spirit. Uh, he says, so this idea of, uh, continue to be connected, I think to, to God, uh, both, both in our prayers and also in line the spirit to direct us, keep yourself in God's love as you wait. So this is, I would, I would use the simple word, which is one of my favorite words in, in, in the new Testament is endurance here. Um, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus to bring you eternal life. So we're in this period, right? Where we are surrounded by things that are pulling us in various directions, but we are to remain firm uh, as we wait. And then he talks about how to, so that's, that's us. That's how we deal mm-hmm. with ourselves. And then he talks about how to deal with others. Uh, so treat those who have doubt mercifully. Don't, you know, don't jump all over them basically, but, mm-hmm. but treat them with mercy, save others by snatching from the fire. Um, so in, in other words, have this sense that there are some who need to be, you know, Yanked brought by the coattails, <laughs> well, brought back into the faith, you know, yeah. they, they're probably endangered by these false teachers. They're being, um, tempted by the teachings that are going on. So you need to you, yeah, snatch them back to others. So mercy mixed with fear. And, and I think here, here, the whole idea this is similar to what Paul says in Galatians that, uh, we have to be careful when we're, when we're, um, uh, warning a, a brother or sister in Christ that we aren't led astray as well. In other words, when we're in this, um, situation where we're trying to, um, show them the mercy and grace of Christ, we have to be careful that we're not pulled to them is basically the idea and and end up going their way, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So, you know, basically this is how far we're going to keep ourselves from indulging in in sexual immoralities where you're going to hate the clothing that's stained by corrupted flesh. Uh, Questions or comments on any of those? Those, So those are the practical, that's that's what they should do, I suppose is what I would say. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, what, what I think is interesting here in Jude, and I mean, I think Paul writes about this as well, but it's like the, the problem is inside the church at this point. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like inside there. Yep. And so it's, I think there has to be some reflection there to kind of go, yep. am I this, am, 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 I the, <laughs> am I the problem here or am right. I the, you know, and that you can only define that by, you know, growing in your faith and, and, and there's some self-reflection just because yeah. they're in the church does not mean that they are part of the church. Right. Right. Here. Yeah. They're not in danger of, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, that's just what I'm thinking through as we're reading this. So then we have the closing doxology, basically just a pretty simple one to him who is able to keep you from stumbling there. If you want, if you want your uh, once saved, always saved language there again, 
we don't see it here. You know, he, he's able to keep you from stumbling is the idea mm-hmm. and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. So, uh, you know, kind of a doxology here to close uh, his, his short letter, his one, his own neater, his one chapter uh, letter here. Do you think he thought, I'm going to be part of a podcast when I write this? <laughs> One of these days, several make centuries short in the future. A, yeah, they're going to make, there's going to be a recording of this. And But I have to make sure that the person who randomly put chapters into books doesn't make this a two-chapter book. <laughs> that's right. Oh, gosh. Well, that's a good one. I like that. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's a lot in there to chew on, and I think... And, and I will say, we we ignored Jude a lot, right? Because it's not a Pauline epistle. It's not... Where does it go? When when you're preaching a series, where does it? Where does the book of Jude go? You know, it, we see it often as supplementary material. Anyway, I, I interrupted what you were saying. No, I, I was thinking about... Uh, I don't know. All this, you know, as we talk more about this stuff and all these connections and so forth, it makes me think about Revelation. You know, these churches, like, you've got these good things going on for you, but there's something inside of, you know, like, but I've got this fault to find with you. Like, there's something that's that's snuck in. There's some way that that has, it's been perverted. Like, you've you've allowed these things to sneak in. And I think it's such a a message that we are not immune to it and that we need to be growing in our faith. We need to be right. pursuing these things and that realizing that there are things that are absolutely, that have snuck in even in the first century, you know, like they're closest to when Jesus is alive, right. that are sneaking into this thing, sneaking into this congregation that are perverting it and that, you sure. know, there is, we, we always have to be on guard for those things right. that kind of go, where, where has, where have we, and again, like I, I, just thinking about that, that this cultural piece that got attached yeah. and it got twisted to fit it with inside the church or what they thought right. fit inside the church right. um, and how, you know, how kind of insidious and like this little tweak, tweak, tweak. And then here we go. We're, we're on. We, we, we've got a problem. I, I did think as I was preparing, this is definitely a letter for our for our day as mm-hmm. well. I mean, there are there are several ways in which we see these kind of these kind of dangers. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to think. The I have a um, a friend who who is a um, he grew up in the United Methodist Church, and and I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on there now. There's but some man, things happening. It is it is a major deal, and. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's, it, there's always that, that problem, um, you know, of, of, as he says here, standing firm in the faith. And that's, that's what he says. I, I wanted to write you about the salvation we share, but instead <laughs> we need to contend for the faith. Uh, you need to make sure you're standing firm in those things is, is kind of what he begins with. So, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, it's always, I, I think one of these, uh, <sighs> I, you know, again, we don't know the other side of this, you know, right. are they contending? Sure. Like, this is a good thing. Like, this is a good right. thing, you know, and it's, it's easy. Like, oh yeah, this them. is a yeah. good thing. You know, it's, yeah. you know, that they're trying to lead others down that path. And it's, right. you know, I even think today, you know, it's easy for us to hear an idea and go, oh, that's, that's the right idea, you know, and then pretty soon our hearts with it and our emotions are with it, but we've not reflected to kind of go, is this is this something? And, and I always feel I'm finding myself when I when I was even when I was saying what I was saying earlier the the grace of God is fantastic and and mm-hmm. we don't want to lose that wonder and that sense of it. But but as I often say the the most 
dangerous and most insidious kind of a lie is a half truth, mm. right? Right. I'm going to give you part of the truth. And yeah, I mean, look at all these passages. Look at what Jesus says. All these things fit. But then there's part of it that you've missed. Uh, right. You know, you failed to failed to include. So. Yep. Yep. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one eater. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's well, a good one eater. We've got a couple of, I guess our next series will have to be all the two chapter books of the Bible. How many are those? <laughs> How many are those? You should do research and figure that out. I will figure that out. <laughs> I don't think there's too many. Anyway, either. I, don't I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if there's one. I don't know. <laughs> what made me think of it was when I said, you know, the, the when later when the chapters were added, you know, that it wasn't made into a two chapter. I thought, I don't think there's any two chapter books in the Bible. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll do some investigation <laughs> to our listeners. Just hold on. We're going to do an investigation this week and we're going to find out next week. Tune in next week to find out are there any two chapter books of the Bible? I don't think there are. So. All right. Well, Brian, that's thanks my, so much. That's my vote. All right. Yeah. It was Thank great. You, Brian. Good. Great. Great, great, enjoyed it. And we will be back next week with another O-Neater. All right. All right. See, see you later. later. Bye. Bye.